What if I sometimes find it too difficult to open my hand and let go and share with others? This is Rabbi Yitzchak Price with another episode of Tachlis Talks, growth-oriented, partial-related Torah podcasts. And first and foremost, I want to wish everybody out there well. If you're currently not well, that you recover soon. Anybody who's listening to this podcast down the road as we record this in mid-April 2020, the world is amidst the pandemic of the uh, corona plague and far, far, far too many thousands of losses and several that have touched circles that I have connection to. Thank God, nothing in my immediate circles, but far too many that are close to home that have impacted family and friends. And want to wish everybody out there to be well, stay well, be healthy, and that hopefully this be well behind us fairly soon. Our Torah portions, Tazria and Metzora, a doubleheader this week, put a lot of focus on a, another type of a plague, another type of a uh, malady. This called the Atzara'as or Tzara'at. But actually, I don't want to say the word plague, because this is not something that affects community. It's something that affects individual. And in fact, it's not the leprosy, which it's often mistranslated as. This is not a contagious disease. It is not something that involves medical procedure or medical care. The practitioner involved is the Kohen, the priest, rather than the physician. And if you go through the Parsha carefully, you'll notice many factors that make it very clear this is not simply a medical issue or a physical disorder. Rather, it is a physical manifestation, a physical indication on the body of a spiritual disorder. And it is a tool that God uses under certain circumstances, and in fact under more elevated circumstances, when we warrant this type of immediate reaction by God, when we merit that He is highlighting our failures immediately and and, and strongly, that God would use this as a tool to jar us into inspecting our past, inspecting our behavior, and trying to correct our failings. Well, one of the elements of tsaras of this parsha, is the tsaras, the marking on the home, on the house. And in such case that there is tsaras on the home, there would be the need under certain circumstances where it meets all of the criteria, where unfortunately all the criteria are met, that this is deemed the full-fledged nega, the affliction of the home, that the home would literally be taken apart. All of the articles within the home would be taken out first, outside of the home, and then the home literally taken apart. Now, in understanding the nature of this issue, with the marking in the home and the home being taken apart, we have what could look like contradictory themes in the commentaries in understanding what's going on here. For, as we mentioned, the general idea behind Saras is that it's an affliction, that it's a, a punishment, it's, it's a trigger for my correcting my failings. And regarding the home, the Talmudic sources describe that this is the trigger to correct my failings when it comes to stinginess, when it comes to holding back from my peers and my friends. And if we can kind of get into the mindset of the participants in the Tsara'as story, so imagine the following. Um, the classic John Doe of, of Talmudic terminology is Plony Almoni, or if you need 
two people, it would be Plony and Almoni. So imagine we have Plony and Almoni. Plony has knocked on Almoni's door. Remember in the days before at the coronavirus when he could do that, just knock on a neighbor's door? Well, he's knocked on the door and he's asked him, hey, I'd like to borrow your... I don't know, let's get back to the world of ancient Israel. He's not borrowing any uh, high-tech tools, but uh, I want to borrow your chisel. A chisel. <laughs> I'd love to offer you a chisel, but I just don't have one. Sorry. A few days later, Almoni, Plony knocks on Almoni's door. Hey, any chance you have a spare flask? Flask? Uh, I'd love to share a flask with you, but I don't have a single spare flask. Down the road, he comes... Another few days, knocks on uh, Plony knocks on Almoni's door. Almoni, by any chance you have a spare spade? I'm doing some digging in my, my backyard. A spare spade, perhaps? Uh, sorry, don't have a spade. Then, imagine what happens if Almoni has his house smitten with this Tsaraas plague. And he now after the Kohen's inspection, is determined that he's going to have to have the home taken apart, but first have everything taken out of the home, put out on his front lawn. And his large collection of chisels is on one table. His large chisels, his small chisels, his sharp chisels, all of his chisels. And another table has his flask collection. His tall flasks, his short flasks, his wide flasks. And his spades, his several spades, are all standing up on one side of the lawn up against a tree. So imagine Almoni's feelings internally when Plony's passing by and just glancing at this collection of a dozen chisels and tens of flasks and a handful of variant-sized spades, what that feels like. And hence the punishment factor in the tsaras, in that here you were claiming you don't have, you were being stingy, you were holding back, and we kind of open up your hand for you, make it very evident as to what you're containing inside. Well, that's one element. But we have what seems to be a conflicting theme, because Rashi in his commentary describes another factor which could be seen as something a lot more upbeat. Rashi describes... Remember, we're talking to ancient Israel, newly arrived in the land, and Plony, uh, let's make it Almoni again, Almoni has a home that he took over. It had been originally a Canaanite home or an Amorite home, probably a very basic structure. Unlikely, had too many very high-end light fixtures or any very sophisticated um, computer uh, technology or internal um, built-in modems. The house was probably four walls, some stone, some mortar, uh, some earth, a very, very basic earth floor, maybe divided into a room or two and a fireplace. That's probably the structure. And the home is smitten with this saras. And the Kohen makes the determination it has to be taken apart. And Rashi describes, Lo and behold, as they're taking apart the home, they may discover that the Canaanites or the Amorites who previously had inhabited that home had snuck away some gold coins and put them in a crevice behind some stones or some treasures, some fine gems, pearls that were under a slab of, of the rock. And in taking apart the home, you may discover articles of much greater value than the home itself. 
Again, with a home being so unsophisticated, it'll take a matter of hours to recreate the structure. But those gold coins, that could buy you a large piece of territory in which you could have great crops. Uh, you could find that those jewels outweigh the value of your home by, by multiple times. Well, is Rashi describing Saras as a reward? Isn't it a punishment? One theory, I put these two together, and I attribute this to a friend of mine. Those listening to this podcast in Jerusalem may have attended lectures by a Rabbi Aaron Brody. If it's the Rabbi Aaron Brody who used to live in Chicago years back when I did as well, uh, he shared the following thought with me way back several decades ago in our joint stay in the uh, Skokie suburb of Chicago. And he commented as follows. Perhaps what's happening is along these lines. I'll embellish a little bit, but he was sharing the following. As Almoni's home is being taken apart, as that punishment, and punishment again being a tool, God is using this to remind him, don't be stingy, don't be miserly, be ready to share with others. And as his home is being taken apart, there are two directions that his mind could be doing as he's watching this. One could be, what a tragedy what a shame. I'm going to have to rebuild. And how painful it is that my neighbors are going to notice all those articles I claim to never have, that I was stifling them from them, and how embarrassing that is. And I feel really, really bad. And it kind of ends over there. Well, that's not correcting the stinginess. I regret being stingy, not because it was wrong to be stingy. I regret being discovered as being stingy. I regret looking foolish for being stingy. But I'm not correcting my internal, uh, the failure of my internal personality. That's one way uh, that the person could be reacting. And in that case, that's where the story is going to end. With this guy suffering that indignity and the loss of his home until he's able to rebuild. But, there's another type of reaction, and that would be the individual who is experiencing as the home is being taken apart. And by the way, I should comment, it's not always the issue of the entire home being taken apart, but a significant amount of, of the material being taken down to correct this problem of this saras. But as he's suffering this reality of seeing parts of his home taken apart and seeing all of his stuff strewed out on his front lawn, he starts to feel... Why did I do this? Why did I hold back for my friends? Why did I stifle? Why was I so restrictive? That wasn't correct. That wasn't right. And I feel so wrong. I don't just feel bad that I got caught. I feel bad that I was wrong. And I want to be right. I don't want to be that type of person. It feels... I feel that I want that chisel set outside to be exposed to others. I want them to know that that's there. I want them to feel comfortable taking. I want them to know I've got the spades, the flasks, whatever it was that I held back from the others. That person, as he's having that painful experience and realizing I was wrong, I was greedy, I was stingy, he may hear somebody calling out, hey, look at this, look what we just discovered. As we were taking apart this part of the wall, we found these gold coins. We found this... Fancy set of di of diamonds, of pearls, of gems uh, hidden under this slab. And, whoa, my home that was a few hundred dollars worth of material is being taken apart, and I'm discovering thousands or, or multiples of thousands of dollars worth of material. The outcome 
of his feeling bad over his greediness could be triggering that God says, okay, I was frowning, now I'm smiling. And this is what happens when I smile. You're no longer suffering, you are gaining by this process. This topic, this issue of stinginess, of our holding back, is endemic to our personalities. The, the natural course of affairs, the Midrash in Kohelis and Ecclesiastes describes every baby is born with their hand clenched. We were born with our hand closed saying, it's mine. When people die, their hands are typically open. I, I have nothing. The job is for humanity to learn to open that hand early on. But it's not easy. The natural course of affairs is it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. To the baby, God is giving that as a gift so that he knows to wake up the mother when he's hungry and that he can be demanding the attention that he needs for his survival at that stage. Maturity, growth, involves learning to open up the hand, learning to let go, learning to say that it's not really, really mine. It's not really me, 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 me. Fascinatingly, in the Hebrew language, there is no way to articulate the, to absolutely and literally say, it's mine. Now, I know that some of you Israelis out there and others of you with good Hebrew vocabulary are, are looking quizzically, what is he talking about? I would just say, ze sheli, this is mine. Well, not really. Mine indicates the starting point is me. Sheli, if you notice, the li is the me part. It doesn't start with the li. Sheli means it is of me. It is associated with me. It is controlled by me. It is currently possessed by me. And it is illegal for somebody to take that. We're not preaching communism over here. We're not preaching that there is uh, anarchy and lack of, of borders. But it is not that the starting point is me. It's that God has allowed this to be directed to me, to be associated, controlled by me, to the degree that the me is the best direction for this object to go, that it makes sense for it to be under my control. But my attitude should be, it is Shelley to the degree that I currently need it. But if somebody else needs this more than I do, then why hold back? It's not starting like the word mine, where the default is so much me that it takes a lot of energy to break out of that, to move it away from being mine and move it over to somebody else. But if it's Shelley, it's associated with me, then it's really the object that is currently given over to me, associated to me. I currently have less need for this spade, this flask, my car, my furniture, than somebody else. Why not let them have it? Why not let this object be now oriented towards them? We find in the Mishnah in Perkeavos a debate. If the person who says, Shali, Shali, Vishalcha, Shalcha, What's, again, well, translated as mine. What's mine is mine and what's yours is yours. Is that viewed as neutral, as legitimate? Or is even that type of an attitude viewed as Sodom-like? The wicked cities of Sodom and Amorah, of Sodom and Gomorrah, were the places of greed and of incredible stinginess. And even saying what's mine is mine and what's yours is yours is, according to one approach in the Mishnah, deemed Sodom-like. Because my attitude shouldn't be what's mine is mine, shali shali. It should be that shali shalcha. It's easy to shift from being mine to yours. There's very little in the way of my object being available to you. Again, I'm allowed to use my object. 
I'm allowed to police my object. I'm allowed to protect my object. And you have no right to take it without my permission. But my, my starting sentiment should be that I am very open to this crossing that line to being available to you if, in fact, you do need this object. Our hand closed that we've got to learn to open. The, the stinginess that we've got to learn to open up before God has to make us open up and, and spread it out to the front lawn. But the very fact that we have that lesson of the reward, that when I correct myself, even though I started off with a mode of being a little bit too hand-clenched, but when I correct myself, reorient myself, God is ready to smile at me and give me that gift of the discovery of the gems, of the pearls, the gold hidden away in my house. Even if we're not going to have that type of an application today, this whole Sarah story doesn't take place outside of Israel or even in Israel when we're not on high spiritual plateaus. But these can remind us of the need to be ready to open the hand, ready to share with others, less me, me, me focused, and more on the fact that, hey, I have objects that are available to me and ready to make them available to others as well. We always try looking for a tactless takeaway, a practical takeaway, and in our current corona-plagued world, we can't do that much sharing. We're not inviting people into our homes, not giving away our stuff, but there's one commodity that we have over which we tend to be sometimes a little bit tight-fisted that we could potentially let go a little bit and me be a little more um, ready to share, and that would be our time. We tend to be very protective of our time and not want other things to interfere with our time, with my time, especially my downtime, my time that I'm so protective of because I can finally relax, not stressed by whatever else is going on that I had to do with work-wise or community-wise or whatever else was kind of grasping at my time. And now I just want to be a little more free for myself. Appropriate and sometimes necessary, but different attitude if I view it as mine or Shelley. It's associated with me. It's controlled by me, governed by me but available to be shared with others that need it more. And if there's somebody else, and I bet most of us know somebody who is coping less well with the current frustrations of isolation than we are, somebody who has less resources, less social connectivity, less technologically savvy, other factors that make it harder for that other party to be coping in this current very stressful situation. And if I can allow that person access to some more of my time. It may involve a remote connection to that party. That party might be right within my own home. And if I can be attentive to this fact that what God has gifted us, we control and we dictate the rules, but he's gifted to us for us to be able to share with others as well. If we can learn to open that hand, to recognize the blessing that comes when we let others be privy to the resources that we have, and in this context, the time that we have, and let others partake of that, then we will be the type of people upon whom God smiles rather than frowns, bestows his blessing, and in the meantime, we'll become the type of people that are so much more likely to achieve our tackles.